I was so far removed from it. So when I went to Rhinebeck and I saw sheep and I was just like, yes, like, you know, all these things in theory, but to see the farmers like take care of the sheep and then you see someone shear sheep. And then I saw undyed wool at Rhinebeck for the first time. And I was just like, why would you spin undyed wool? Like, what's the point if you're not spinning for color? And Sam was like, Tashi, let me tell you. Today on the show. I want to welcome Tashiana Gordon, who is a whirlwind of positivity, excitement, inspiration, love, kindness, and creative power. With her husband, she lives in New York City working as a registered nurse by day and then creates amazing carded blended bats with so many fibers you cannot imagine the beauty that comes off her machines to spin. Her yarns are beautiful. She is currently on a self-inflicted journey to learn to spin on supported spindles and plays D&D in her spare time with other self-described nerds. It is a pleasure to sit down with Tashi and hear her story. Go follow her on Instagram at Precisely Tashi and YouTube at Stitches and Starlight. Enjoy our conversation. Then I want to be that for like someone else who is just starting their journey. I don't have the years of experience, but I, you know, I figured out drafting. I figured out a thing or two where I can also help someone on, on their way to their journey because the only way I've made it as far as I have is I've had incredible uh, spinning teachers and people who've just taken an interest in my journey and my growth and has like worked at it with me. And so like to have Diana help me figure out supported spindles right now, it's just, it's such a treat. In a world of store-bought items and a world that seems to never slow down, we make with our hands and tools. Here at Woolen Spinning Radio, we take a moment to breathe, to chat, to reflect. As the world continues in a whirlwind around us, we sit quietly at our spinning wheels with our knitting needles or on our looms. The gentle motion of twisting a spindle, watching it dropping slowly to the ground, or the click-clack of needles tapping against each other as we turn a heel, brings solace and comfort. We make with our hands because we love the process and value our handmade items. While they are never perfect, our yarns might be gently thick and thin or just plain over-twisted. In this place, we discuss what it means to be a maker, to use our hands. Join us as I chat with others in our community about these ideas, challenges, and rewards. Thank you for your time spent here in this place. You are always welcome. Hello, spinning friends. My name is Tashiana, but all my friends call me Tashi. Um, I am 32 and I live in the wilds of New York City. That's the new thing I say now is that I live in the wilds because everyone else that's cool lives in the wilds and I want to live in the wilds too. I live in the wilds of New York City with my husband Joshua and our two kittens, Minerva and Astoria. And I like to say that I am a capital S spinner and a lowercase k knitter because um, I spin because spinning brings me joy and I knit because I got to do something with all that yarn that I've been making. Um, I have been crafting, well, fiber crafting for some time. Um, not as like deep in it as some of the people that I idolize, but I have been putting in my time and I've been spinning for the last two and a half years um, and knitting for a little bit longer than that. Amazing. So did you yeah. start with the knitting or did you start with the spinning? I started knitting. Um, my I come from a long line of crafty women. Um, my mom um, used to like decorate cakes and make, so I'm Panamanian. And so we still always have the, the, the pin ons. I forgot that there's like a weird Spanish word for it, but I don't speak Spanish. But every time you went to like a baby shower or like a sweet 16, they would give you the like souvenir thing that you would like pin to your chest. It would have like the ribbon that said whose party you went to and the date. And it had some sort of embellishment. And my mom used to make those. So my sister and I used to sit around with hot glue guns um, in the evening and watching TV and making these with her when we were young. And so I've always been doing things with my hands. I picked up my first skein of Red Heart yarn when I was like 15 or 16. Um, there was a little fabric store near my my parents' home and I was with my mom at the fabric store buying fabric for these silly little souvenir things that she was making. And I wandered into the yarn aisle and I was just like, oh, and you know, she gave me a little bit of money. So I got a single skein of Red Heart yarn, came home and that's like the advent of YouTube. Like I, I'm, I'm a true millennial. I grew up with the internet. Um, so that was like the advent of YouTube. And I went online and I found a few knitting blogs and I didn't realize that I was twisting all my stitches because I knit left to right because it never occurred to me that you should hold your needle in your right hand. I just picked up my needle in my dominant hand and that's what I taught myself. And the first project I made was a terrible garter stitch scarf for my little sister. And 
my sister to this day still has that scarf, which I think is wild. I keep telling her, I'm like, throw it away. I'll make you something new. But she's very attached to this thing that I made for her. Um, so I learned garter and then I learned how to purl so I could knit flat and stockinette. And I, you know, just was knitting rectangles. Never occurred to me that you could knit garments until like three years ago. Um, when I stumbled upon knitting Instagram, which was, I like to say, the best and the worst thing that has ever happened to me. Um, and I saw people knitting sweaters and I was like, wait, what? You can actually knit yourself clothes? Um, and so then the knitting happened. The spinning happened later. Um, and I actually did not learn to spin to knit. I learned to spin because I really wanted, well, I bought my wheel because I really wanted to spin, you know, the like fun art, um, art yarns that you see people, people do tapestry weaving with, like the big beehives and the super coils. I was like, cool, that's what I'm going to make. So I bought a Spinolution Bullfrog because it's that art yarn wheel and then brought my wheel home and realized I didn't want to spin art yarn um, and that I had to learn how to actually spin the yarn that I wanted to knit with. And so the knitting came first, the spinning came later, and then neither of them have left me. And they're just, I hold them very mm -hmm. dear to my heart. When that you like kind of took over, when you, yeah. uh, um, I was going to ask you about the bullfrog when you got home with the wheel and you thought that you wanted to do a uh, texture yarn, um, what had shifted? I, so I, I was watching all the tutorials on like the coils and the spiral plies and everything else. I, I must preface this. I bought a wheel with no practice with no demoing. I was talking to Kristen, uh, Kristen Carroll, who is a very big member of the wool and spinning community, who's my biggest enabler. Um, and she was like, Tashi, I just bought a wheel. And I was like, cool, I'm buying the same thing. Tell me what you got. And I did like zero research. I didn't look into makers. I didn't do anything. There, 2020 Tashi was wild. Um, I did like no research into anything. I was just like, all right, well, I had like, you know, I had the money set aside for something to, I was saving up to buy myself like a, a post nursing school treat. And so I had the money for my post-nursing school treat. And so this was what it was. It's what I decided it needed to be. Um, so I, I didn't even know like what drafting was. Like I hadn't had even watched the tutorial before I bought the wheel. I watched the tutorials after the wheel was home. Um, and so I was watching tutorials on art yarn and I was like, no, this doesn't feel right. And I was trying to do it and it all just felt weird. And then I was like, well, let me just try to figure out drafting. And I was able to like draft like not, I mean, no one makes consistent yarn in the beginning, but I was able to draft like a bulky single and I was like, oh, this feels better. And then I just kept doing singles and, and then my singles started getting finer and finer. And then I was like, oh, what happens if you ply this back on itself? And then I made my first plied yarn and I was just like, oh, this is where it is. Like, this is where the magic is. But it took me probably like four months to get to my first plied yarn. Those first yarns in the beginning were they were um i found my first my first like official quote unquote official skein where i spun four ounces of comb top a few weeks ago um and it had like i don't even understand how it has enough integrity to not float away into like wispy clouds like there's no twist in this i don't understand how it's holding together um but that that was probably like six months in that i spun my first full-on four ounce like proper yarn um and I learned from just watching YouTube videos. I tell everyone I'm a huge advent of YouTube University. If if mm. I can find a YouTube video on something, I will keep watching it and I'll keep practicing. And I understand that not everyone learns that way. And that is a, it's, it's you know, it's a privilege and it's a very big thing to be able to pop on online and not require in-person instruction to learn a new skill. Um, but YouTube University made me the spinner that I am. And so I kept doing it. And then I like maybe like a year and a half in, I was like, all right, I'm ready for these super coils. And then I was just like, no, I'm not. And so I've never spun an art yarn and I probably never will. And I think that's okay. Like, I think it's okay to do the things that bring you joy and not to have to like check off the like spinner's bucket list, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure out there to sort of adhere to a very, uh, not stringent, but like sort of this like set of, expectations that you should be able to blah, blah, blah. And we should on each other a lot. And it's not very helpful. I, I think pursuing this stuff and finding joy is that's, that's a lot of why we continue to do what we do is because it brings us joy. Um, so much of my spinning is rooted in joy. And so much of the way I talk about spinning is rooted in joy. So when people tell me I'm doing this thing and I'm not sure it's right, I'm like, is it making yarn? Is it making yarn that you love? And is it bringing you joy? Because if it's doing those three things, I'm not going to be the one to tell you you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. If it's not making yarn or if it's not bringing you joy or if you're frustrated, then let's talk about why it's frustrating you and see if we can like ease some of that. But if you're doing something that like the books say 
is not correct or if you're spinning long draw with like a combed prep and you're like I'm not sure if I'm doing this right but you're making yarn that you love then let's not shit ourselves and let's just keep doing the things that we bring that bring us joy because there's so much in the world that's not joy filled I don't want to invite that kind of negative energy into my hobbies and my crafts that like fill me up from the not so joy filled part of life Mm -hmm. agreed well and it sounds like you finished nursing school and started spinning in 2020 yeah which is like yeah how much did your like 2020 experience kind of inform that learning to spin experience that was happening oh so I mean all of it so I graduated I graduated in uh I finished I had my pinning ceremony in January of 2020 which was right before the world broke um and I mentioned I lived in New York City which is pretty much the epicenter of where the world broke um and or one of them like I'm not so vain to think that my early one for sure I'm not so vain to think that my city is the center of the universe but it was definitely one of the like big ones um and I I remember my NCLEX got canceled um so for people who are not nursing inclined the NCLEX is the exam you take to get licensed I don't know if that's like an outside of the U.S. thing but at least in the U.S. the NCLEX is a test that you take to get licensed Canada Um, and the states it's Canada oh it is in Canada yeah okay My NCLEX got canceled four times because of COVID. So I kept having dates for my boards and then having it canceled. There was one day my boards got canceled the morning of my exam. So I got up and I, you know, did everything to get ready to get ready to start my day and got an email that my boards were canceled. And so that is an incredibly anxiety inducing state to be in where you're in this like permanent state of fight or flight because you're studying nonstop because you want to pass and then it feels like there's no end in sight and then the world feels like it's melting around you and that is why I picked up my knitting needles because I needed something that was going to help me find a place to stay grounded in the middle of all the things that I could no longer control and I had very little control like they tell you do 100 questions a day and then you'll take your boards and you'll be fine and then all of a sudden you're doing 100 questions a day for five months which is not sustainable and it is exhausting um and I, you know, thankfully I took my boards. I passed the first time I was able to get a job and then you're right in the thick of it. And so it's just like, okay, where is, and you know, Josh and I had all these big things. We were like, oh, we're going to go away to celebrate. And we didn't get our big vacation and all these things that I did not get to do and not to whine because 2020 was terrible for everybody. Um, but I picked up my needles because things were terrible and I needed something that was going to help me find some sort of like peace. And I picked up, I, I ordered the wheel because I was like, I need something that's tactile. And I realized early on from knitting that it was the tactile nature of that craft that was helping me hold it together. And I was like, well, why not pursue other things that are tactile? I picked up tapestry weaving for a little bit. I was never any good at it. I still have the tapestry looms behind my TV. I need to get rid of those and send them on to someone. But I I just kept picking up fiber craft because I was like, something about this felt grounding in a way that none of the other hobbies that I was pursuing at the time did. Um, And I think that the the fact that fiber found its way into my life when I was at such a low point is why so much of my fiber craft is rooted in joy because that's what was holding me together was the joy of making. And so I need it to still be joy filled because that's, that's what we bonded over. And that's what, that's what cemented its place in its life in my life. Um, so it still stays joyful. And not that it's not hard. Every now and then you pick up something, you decide to learn something new and you're just like, Ugh. when I decided to learn how to spin a proper woolen yarn, I was just like, this is, my brain is broken. I don't understand how to do this. So it's not that it doesn't require work. It's just the labor brings me joy. Like hauling mm-hmm. fleece out my bathtub brings me joy. Even if it's five pounds of soaking wet wool and your back is hurting and you're just like blah and it's hot and you're sweaty. All that at the end of the day, just, it brings me joy. And that's why I do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It's well said. Thanks. Um, so you hadn't been knitting before 2020. Like, like you had taken a bit of a break. I did. I took a bit of a break because I went away to college um, and I didn't bring any of my yarn with me. And then when I came back home, I, I came back home, moved to my parents for a little bit. And I thought about picking up knitting here or there. And then when I moved out, um, I moved out with a roommate and there was only so much stuff that I could fit into my small New York City apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to like pick and choose what I was bringing with me. And so I left my yarn for my sister. And I, it never occurred to me to pick it back up until until social media, which again, best and worst thing that's ever happened to me. Um, but it never occurred to me to pick it back up. Like I left all of it and I didn't want to like start over and start buying needles and buying yarn again. And so I just 
picked up other things for a while I was doing embroidery I have a bunch of like little six inch hoops that I was doing like embroidery on because um, I never lost the love of fiber like I still wanted to make tactile things it's just knitting never occurred to me to pick it back up until until 2020. So you got deep into um, processing fleece. How, how did you go from art yarn, maybe, maybe not, to like back to the wool? Amazing, yeah. You you went you were like full on like back to the sheep, experimenting with blending, and I love watching all the experimenting you're doing and all the playing with blends. How did you end up there? I um I I have a friend. Her name is Samantha Garen, and I I like to joke that her name is my friend Sam, which is a lot of people know Samantha Garen. So I don't also I would always need to go my friend Sam, but that's just what I call her. Um, and I remember going to Rhinebeck 2021, which was my first like wool festival. My husband called it Woolcon for weeks. He was like, "Oh, we're going to Woolcon," <laughs> and when he was trying to explain to one of his friends where he was going, he was like, "It's Comic Con for knitters," and I was just like, "You're not wrong." Um, so I remember going to Rhinebeck and it was the first time I have all sorts of uh, dyed top in my apartment. And theoretically, you know, that dyed top comes from wool and wool comes from sheep. But by the time it comes to you, it's so far removed from that, right? Like it's braided and it's painted and it has a dyer's label and it's all these fun colors. And you're like, oh, Rambouillet. And you know, like theoretically, you know that they're sheep breeds and that all these words mean different things. And that like you pick up a Rambouillet braid and it doesn't feel like a Corydale braid. So there must be something different. Um, but when I learned to spin, I learned to spin for color. And so those things didn't really make sense to me. And I was buying fiber for color. So it didn't really occur to me. So I have so much Rambouillet. I don't like it because it never occurred to me to buy the breeze that I like. I just bought color. Um, and so I was so far removed from it. So when I went to Rhinebeck and I saw sheep and I was just like, yes, like, you know, all these things in theory, but to see the farmers like take care of the sheep and then you see someone shear sheep. And then I saw undyed wool at Rhinebeck for the first time. And I was just like, why would you spin undyed wool? Like, what's the point if you're not spinning for color? And Sam was like, Tashi, let me tell you. Um, and so we got to go in the fleece barn. And I was just like, like, I was literally like, my eyes were like, my mouth was open. My eyes were wide. I was just walking around like a dazed child um, for most of the day. And I came back home from Rhinebeck and Sam sent me eight ounces of Romney fleece in the mail. And it wasn't scoured. It wasn't anything. She just pulled it off of her fleece, put it in a bag. It was like, go play and see if this is for you. Man, was it for me. <laughs> and that's what, it was just, it was one of those things that the second I like pulled it out the bag, like, you, you know, that smell of a good sheet fleece mm -hmm. that's been taken care of properly. And it doesn't smell like, it smells a little bit barnyardy, but it smells like sheep and it's warm and, and you hold it up to the sunlight and you get the luster and the crimp. And it was like the heavens were opening and I was just like, <laughs> oh, okay, this is, this is the vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I scoured that eight ounces and I bought myself a set of combs um, and I had no idea what I was doing. So I went scouring the internet right back to YouTube University. That's how I found Rachel. Um, I was looking for help on spinning long wools because I didn't even know that like there was different things. I was like, you can't just, you know, apply your one size fits all thing to yarn and make yarn with everything. And that's how I found Rachel. Um and I bought some combs and I was combing, combing, combing and pulling off these nests. And I held the like, I held the nest in my hand. And it literally just felt right. There are very few things in my life that I've touched it and all of a sudden felt right. Sometimes you have to like work things and then you're like, and I I believe in the three strikes throughout things. So I try everything three times um, before I quit it. Cause you know, you always, you're always going to suck at it the first time. You suck a little less the second time. By the time you get to the third time, you should know whether like, you should suck a little bit less enough to know that you like it, whether enough to pursue it. So I give everything three times. Combing and hand processing that Romney, I didn't have to give three times. The first time I did it, I was just like, okay. And then so I was like, so how do I get more of this? And then she like told me about the mm -hmm. Rawl for Sale Facebook group. And I was just lurking for a few weeks. And I remember buying my first fleece online. My first fleece online was a Finn from Merrifield Farms. And it was a Finn lamb. And her name was Elsie May. Um, and I remember getting a box of wool in the mail and it was just like wait what like you can put a whole fleece in the mail and you pull it out and it just like expands that first time where you cut into a vacuum seal fleece and it just like grows three times and I was just sitting there and I was just like okay this is the thing we do now and now it's just this is the thing I do I I buy fleece and I wash it in my bathtub and my husband sets the timers for me and he yells at me when I forget them he's like go get your wool out the tub um and I've been I've been tweaking my washing system because I do live in a small apartment. Um, so I 
been refining it a little bit here and there. And then I got my drum carter because there was only so much you could do with hand cards. And I got my drum card, my first drum carter. And I was just like, oh, and I was making these big squishy bats and I just wanted to like hold on it. And then the first time I finished a full fleece, my first sheep to skein spin that I finished a whole fleece was a Clun Forest BFL cross and it was a lamb. And I ended up with like 1800 yards of fingering weight two ply yarn. And I, I looked at the before and after wow. pictures of the fleece that was like kind of yellow, covered in lanolin, a little bit grotty because of the lamb's fleece. There's a little bit of yam. And I looked at my finished yarn and I was just like, there's, you can't bottle this. Like, there's just nothing like mm-hmm. this. Um, And the people who work from fleece, they know that feeling. Like, there's nothing, I, I say that like everyone has a place and there's a place in spinning for everyone. Like, you don't have to make something work if it doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. But there's something about working from raw all the way to the end that's special mm-hmm. and once you get it you you just you get it yeah. the first time my um one of my best friends um is a jeweler and she had transferred from uh brown um brown college in toronto into the jewelry program from fashion design and everybody thought she was crazy like everybody was like what are you doing sam like she's such a talented sewist and um everybody just thought she was nuts. And she's like, you're not working with raw material. She's like, it's not good enough. Um, because she wanted, she's like, if I'm going to do this, I want to be designing the fabric so that I can build the clothes. Cause she was really interested in like sustainability clothing lines and having a really limited run and all that kind of stuff. And she ended up transferring into jewelry because you can work from the raw mm-hmm. metals. And it's exactly the same. Cause when I was trying to explain to her about spinning and why spinning, why capital S spinning, um, she was like, she, I was struggling with my words and struggling to try to explain it. And she's like, oh yeah, it's exactly like jewelry. It's because you're going back to the raw. You're going back to, um, how it comes off of the animal or how it comes out of the earth and creating, creating it's it, there's just nothing like it. Well, there's also the, mm-hmm. like the connection and the community exactly. that you get with working yeah. from raw that you, and it's not that you don't get to build connections with your dyers. The people I tend to frequent the same for for dyers and I have a fair you know I have a fairly good connection with them I tag them and all my stuff they're always like oh it's so good to see your stuff but it's it I think it's something really different where you get to talk to a farmer who's watched the sheep you know be lambs and who has taken care of the sheep every day up until shearing and who is so proud of the of the fleece that they're raising and then if you get to reserve it like I I have a I have two super fine merinos which god bless I don't know why I made that choice but I have two super fine merinos on on reserve for shearing season and so the shearer sends me updates like every few months he just gets in the coats and like spreads the fleece and sends me updates there's just there's nothing like that. And then you get to like send them pictures as you're working through it. Cause I know a lot of farmers aren't spinners. And so they're sending mm-hmm. their wool off into the world and they have no idea what it's going to become. And so it's really nice to just go, Hey, I got this and I loved it so much. And this is what I did with it. And thank you so much for all the work that you did to raise this animal. Thank you for giving them a home and for caring for them and for all the sleepless nights that I'm sure it takes to keep these, this agenda going. Um, And it's just that it's that little bit of community. Then you get to share your fleece with your friends. Like, 90% of the fleeces I have in my apartment, I've shared with people. Like I open it up, I rip off eight ounce blobs and I mail it to people. So I'm like, hey, look at this thing I love. Go love on this thing that I love. And then they love on it. And so you have this like big never ending circle. It's just, it's just, I can't not talk about it and like have the biggest smile on my face because it makes me so happy. It's such a fulfilling thing to do to go from raw material to like a finished project and then to be able to hold it up and just go, I remember when that was just a pile of wool on the floor and now look at it and it's just, Mm -hmm. it's really nice. That's very cool. It's, uh, there's just nothing like it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a couple of times about your love hate relationship with social media. How do you, I, I think we all struggle with that, especially those of us who are, who are millennials. I'm technically an elder millennial. Um, cause I'm in the last few years of the cutoff and I, I think we all try to balance all of this. And of course there's YouTube adversity and, and, you know, JIT learning just in time learning, um, which YouTube has allowed us to, um, to do. Um, how do you balance all of that in, in the midst of all of your making? Like, is there, have you sort of found a way to build that community and find those people online? Um, while also kind of balancing the other side that's yeah, (laughs) the crazy. 
I'm still learning. I will yeah. say that um, online relation, parasocial relationships are fun because it's, it. <laughs> I was talking to someone about how my friendship style is like ominously friendly, where it's like, does Tashi want to be my friend? Does Tashi just think I'm cool? Does Tashi want to hype me up? Because I'm always like hyping people up in my stories. I'm like, go follow this person. They're cool. Go follow this person. They're cool. Um, And it, it it's hype parasocial relationships are hard because you don't have like face-to-face connection um and people say lol and also are not laughing at the same time that's my favorite thing to do is just type lol to something when i'm not laughing and it's just like why do i do this and it's just it's such an internet (laughs) thing to do um so i'm still learning about how to find my people i my my feed is very tailored into into the things that i'm interested in and i have no there i have no qualms about weeding people out if mm-hmm. it, if the things that they're sharing no longer feel good for what i need in my space my feed is very curated does that mean that i'm constantly being fed with the things that i'm interested in yes does that mean that there's fleece on my feed all the time yes but it's also my space so i get to do that um And then I do the same thing with my DMs. I have a few people that I like, you know, talk to regularly and I keep that in my primary inbox. I use my general inbox for people that I don't talk to regularly and I give myself a certain amount of time to deal with DMs. A few people have like my phone number. So they're like, hey, if I tell people all the time, if you see I haven't been on for a few days, you have my number, feel free to like text me and check on me because this isn't my full-time job and my full-time job is very hard. And so I don't always have the time to deal with like maintaining internet relationships. And there are some relationships that are like, you gotta like tier things. Like Mm -hmm. this is like top tier, top tier is like my family, my husband, like second tier is like my IRL friends. And then like third tier and all those other tiers are like the internet parasocial relationships that you're building. And it sucks that you have to do that. But if you don't compartmentalize and put things in tiers, you'll make yourself crazy trying to please everybody and try to keep up with everything. And life's too short. So I do that. Um, YouTube is just a different beast. My husband helps me with my comments. Um, so he reads a lot of them out loud to me because then I can like knit while we read them and we try to decide like how to craft responses to some questions. A lot of them, I can just go ahead and just put a heart on them. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there, sometimes every now and then you get that like really thoughtful comment where you're like, well, this, I need to respond to this. And then you got to try to craft just as thoughtful a response because if people are laying, you know, if they're offering some level of vulnerability, I feel like the need and the desire to meet them halfway with that stuff. And then there are the spinning questions. My favorite thing to do with the spinning questions now is to send them to you. I'm like, oh, well, here's this thing that Rachel has answered a hundred times better than I ever will. Go go watch her. Or I'll send them to like Jillian, to Evie at Jillian Eve. Yeah. I'm like, those are the teachers. I'm not a teacher. Go go over there, um, which is the, the my favorite way to answer spinning questions out there. Like, can you teach me how to do continuous back? No, actually, but I will send you to the people who've already done it and who will do it better better than I will and so that's that's how I maintain it in a way that brings me joy every now and then social media like everything else just gets to be too much and I like hibernate for a little bit take Mm -hmm. like two or three days off I delete the Instagram app from my phone so I'm not tempted because the dopamine rush you know even Mm -hmm. when you don't want to go online sometimes it's hard um so I delete the app from my phone and I take a little bit breather I take social media breaks um and that way when I go back I'm like filled up and ready to deal with it and so I'm not and I'm avoiding burnout um, it's the same reason that I don't record as often. I try to limit myself to, because if I if I had the time, I'd be filming like nonstop, but then you get the burnout and then, then that's not sustainable. So I'm trying to make sure that everything I do with my spinning and Starlight Blends and YouTube and Instagram, I'm trying to make sure that it's all sustainable because I really want to be in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And if I try to overcommit and overstretch myself now, then like, what is there left in like five years? Mm-hmm. That actually pitched that dovetails beautifully into the next question that I had about the social media thing was um, you started a YouTube channel and started to share your journey and whatnot. What made you turn on the camera and start recording? Uh, two things. One, my husband was sick of hearing about it. Um, and at one point he was just like, don't you think other people would want to hear about this? And I was just like, no, <laughs> I, I remember the first time he asked me and I looked at him like he was crazy. And I was just like, why would anyone watch me? talk about wool and he's joshua's had these feelings about like me being online for a very long time he's like you know he's like you have the emotes um he was like people would watch you on twitch he at one point he was like you should stream yourself playing video games and i was just like why do you constantly think i need to be online and he was just like because you have so much to give and you should be giving it to other people and i'm like i'm giving it to you and then he made that face and i was just like oh you don't want it anymore that's what it is um and so for a while he was yelling at me about starting some sort of like fiber podcast i had a, a scrapbooking channel at one point where I was doing like scrapbooking tutorials so I knew my way around the internet I knew my way around filming and editing um 
it's just it's different when you do scrapbooking because it's like top down so people are just looking mm -hmm. at your desks and they're just looking at your hands and they're not looking at you um and when you do like any sort of like knitting podcast then they're looking at you um and they mm -hmm. see all the weird facial expressions you're making the entire time and also when i talk 90 percent of the time i'm interrupting myself which is sometimes exhausting listening to me i watch these videos back and i'm like why does anybody watch this i sound insane um 90 of me talking is just me interrupting myself and then like segueing back to the thing that i was saying five minutes ago and then just continuing on like that's a normal conversation thread it's a lot so i was talking to him and then i, I was talking to my friend sam uh, again i just i can't help it and I was like, Sam, if I started a YouTube channel, would you watch it? And she was like, I would 100% watch it. And I was like, do you think other people would watch it? And she was like, Tashi, there's not enough spinning content out there. And I think people are starting to spinning content and you spin to knit. So like you would get the spinners and the knitters. And I was just like, okay. And then I remember asking one more person and she's like, no, no, you should 100% do it. And so I sat down um, and I already had all the stuff because I had a YouTube channel. So I was like, all right. So I recorded the first episode and then watched it back and I hated it. And I was just like, I'm not for doing this. And I deleted it. And then I tried it again, like three weeks later. And I was like, I'm just going to put this out there. If nothing happens, then nothing happens. Like what's the worst that happened? I, I, you know, spent two hours filming. I spent two hours editing. I won't get those four hours back, but I'll try. Um, and it went well. It went beyond my wildest expectations. And then I was like, all right, I'll do like the Vlogmas thing because I already had the Nest Fiber Advent. So I was like, I'll just sit here with my wheel every morning, just set up the camera and talk shop for a half hour and put that up. And that actually did really well too. And so I got to like build my little community and then the Andre Maori effect happened. And then mm -hmm. we were in a completely different ball game. Um, but I, by then I was, I loved it. I loved the, like, I don't love the editing. I don't, I don't love the editing. It's time all. consuming it's tedious i'm teaching myself premiere pro right now um with the help of like youtube university as usual and so i have my like ipad open with youtube videos next to me and my computer here and i'm trying to like figure out how to do things in premiere pro that i could do an iMovie with my eyes closed so there's that um but i love the i love the filming i love the sharing i love talking to people i love meeting people online and i love talking to all these people who are now learning to spin um, and a lot of people tell me, they're like, well, we thought spinning was like hard and you make it sound easy. And I'm like, no, 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 it's still hard. What I'm trying to do is make it accessible, but please don't let it, don't, don't, please don't go home and say, Tashi, so spinning is easy. And then you pick it up and you're like, this is hard because it's like anything else. You have to work it and you have to practice it. Um, but it's just been nice, like talking about the thing that's bringing me joy and like offering a little bit of exposure to people uh, i've had a few people tell me that i'm like an interesting through way between the popular knitting podcast and like the spinning podcast they didn't know existed because if your feed is just knitting and you don't really realize that there are other things out there but like my video pops up and i'm like in that weird liminal space and then i could get them to the other spinners then now you're like your world's been opened up so it's been fun being that little bridge between like knitting youtube and spinning youtube and helping people cross over Mm -hmm. Sure. When you do have a wonderful, just like energy and just like, I love how you share just whatever you're working on and whatever your space is like, you have a great presence mm -hmm. in your YouTube videos. So it's very fun to watch you. Thank mm -hmm. you. That's very kind. Um, it's, it's so much of it is just, I want to talk about the things that bring me joy to people that are not my husband that's that's really why I started the channel um and it's nice to talk to people about this stuff when they're excited about this stuff because there's only so much yarn I can wave at him and I'm like look at this twist angle look at this stitch definition and he looks at it and goes cool Tashi and I'm like but you you didn't even like 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 I I mad I demand validation and he doesn't give it, he doesn't give it to me and I'm like fine I'm just gonna get it from everyone else um and so the the YouTube I like to joke that the YouTube channel started out as a quest for my vanity and now has become something like much bigger than that and I'm very glad that I had the opportunity. It's the most fun thing I get to do. Uh, and I'm very glad that I get to do it. I love that you and I have a parallel story there, Tashi, with our husbands. Because Mike's comment was, I love you, but I don't care. <laughs> That's why I started the, the podcast originally and turned on the camera. Same reason. He was like sick of it. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's what Joshua was saying by not yeah. saying he has yet to say the I don't care part but he's always just like don't you want to talk to other people about this and I'm like I guess now I have I to yeah we'd been married for 10 years by then so I think he was like he can say anything <laughs> and Joshua's 
very invested in it. I call him my like roadie. He helps me like set up because I, I do have to film in our living room. So like my my setup is not permanently up. So I do have to set up my lights and set up my tripod. And he comes out and he helps me set everything up. And then he goes in the room and put on his headphones. Then he comes back in and helps me break everything down when we're done. That's um, amazing. And he, like, he's very, um, I mean, I have... Uh, ride or die the best partner I, I tell everyone that I would not have made it through nursing school without Josh I worked full-time and went to school at night um, and I didn't do like laundry or grocery or anything for the three years that I was in school my husband kept our household afloat um, and has been always been very invested in the things that make me happy and the things that bring me joy so I, I very much lucked out um, with, with the with the partner I have yeah I wonder if some of the way that like you process and the way that you like talk through your thoughts, interrupt yourself, all that kind of stuff. I feel like that's partially a nursing thing. Like everybody you work with, they're all like that too. I'm like that. I get criticized, criticized sometimes on, on YouTube for it. Like finish your train of thought before you go to the next thing. Well, I think that's, <laughs> they like, back. They your mind train you. Yeah, they retrain mm. you to think in these non-linear pathways. That's like the first mm-hmm. thing they do in nursing school. They're like, you must learn critical thinking. You must learn all this stuff. And so they they break your brain and they retrain you to think in all of these non-linear pathways. And then you have to like think in linear pathways for everything else. And you yeah. can't turn it off. Um, so this just this is just the way my brain is now. Um, yeah. three years of conditioning. This is what they did to me. And you have to reflect. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh, the think critically and then reflect. <laughs> oh no. I have PTSD, Rachel. Don't do that to me. <laughs> yeah, we there was a there, we joked at the end of our nursing um like education. We we're like we're not gonna reflect anymore. We're just gonna sit and stare at the wall. That's all we're yeah. gonna do. No critical thinking. No reflecting. I'm not gonna reflect about the fact that I'm staring at a wall. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I am not a nurse, but I I must be the same way because your guys's logic always seems perfectly linear to me. So. <laughs> We're thinking of all happens. the angles all the time. Not linear about all that. <laughs> that's what happens when you find your people. You find your people and they yeah. just get you. And if they don't, I guess that's what, when you luck out and you find the people who are meant for you, they understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had to like double back when I talk to my husband. Every now and then you could, I could see the wheels in his head turning and I was just like, oh no, I've gone too far off the reels. Come back. Um, but I, <laughs> but he, he gets it and all my friends get it. Um, and the people who don't get it, I guess, just aren't for me. And that's okay, right? Like, not okay. everyone has to be for you. And there's a million people out there explaining the same thing. And I tell people all the time, find the spinning teachers that explain things in the way that you're going to understand. Just because Rachel is like a godsend for me doesn't mean that like the way she explains things is going to be for you. And that's okay. Exactly. There's yeah, a million exactly. other people. Go find those people. Yeah. And that's where platforms like School of Sweet Georgia are so wonderful because like, you know, Felicia's like long-term vision is that you have three or four people to choose from and that you can have those different perspectives all being shared on on one platform in one place that you can find it all. And then you can take a little bit from me and a little bit from Kim and a little bit from Diana and a little bit from Katrina and a little bit from Felicia. And you put it all together into that sort of soup of knowledge and you make it your own. Yeah. brilliant. And mm-hmm. the school of Sweet, Sweet Georgia has introduced me to so many amazing people. You always talk about Diana Twist, but I had no idea who she was until I'd uh, taken one of her classes. And now she's like regularly DMing me spindle tips, which yeah. like literally stars in my eyes every time Diana hops into my DM. She's yeah. like, oh, I saw this and I thought of you. And I was like, don't be this nice to me. I literally I cannot handle it. Um, but she's <laughs> she just is so incredible kind and generous and yeah. giving. And it's those people that make me want to be like, I'm mm-hmm. like, if, if people who have been spinning for years can take the time out to help me figure out this one thing and are this generous and giving with their time, then I want to be that for like someone else who is just starting their journey. I don't have the years of experience, but I, you know, I figured out drafting. I figured out a thing or two where I can also help someone on, on their way to their journey, because the only way I've made it as far as I have is I've had incredible uh, spinning teachers and people who've just taken an interest in my journey and my growth and has like worked at it with me and so like mm-hmm. to have diana help me figure out supportive spindles right now it's just it's such a treat like i'm such a fan I'm just, she is i'm, I'm such she a fan. is just the most generous person she is just I, I love her to bits she's she lives literally 17 kilometers from me <laughs> down down the the river and um Re- rebecca aren't you taking her workshop at fibers west yeah. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. We're Facebook friends. So I was like, I'm going to take your class. And she's like, oh, I'm so excited to meet That's you. That's so exciting. Yes. She's there wonderful. Was, there were <laughs> nice. a, 
a few partic- a few supported spindles makers that I was looking for and she like had scoped out like a shop update and she like messaged me she was like Enid Ashcroft has spindles up and and then there's someone else and she was like they have spindles up and I was like Diana you are like terrible for my wallet but excellent for me you get me um and so she's been helping me figure out so much she's absolutely brilliant absolutely kind I'm so I'm so fortunate and so lucky and so blessed. I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, I'm just blessed that I got the start that I have and that that I have the people that I have right now. Um, So it's really nice to have people who are just willing to share that information. The spinning, I find that the spinning community, not that knitting is not generous, but I think it's a different kind. I think, I feel like knitters are like goblins when it comes to like yarn. So they're all like, this is my yarn and I don't want to share it. So you can't have it. Whereas spinners are just like, there's so much fiber in the world. Go take this. Um, And so I find that spinners have like a different level of generosity with their, like their supplies and their wool and then their information. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just really nice to be like steeped in a community that's so rooted in, at least in my experience, maybe other people have different experiences, but at least in my community, I find that the spinning community is so rooted in gen. I see it in my comments all the time. Sometimes people ask questions and like, I don't have the time to answer it. And other people have answered that person's question. It's just like, how nice is it that you get to see yeah. that, that people are just sharing? It's really nice. Yeah. Have you found a in-person spinning community or is all your spinning community online? So I am on a mission, a mission to start a spinning guild in my city. Um, Mm. we had one that died out right before COVID and now they're only doing online meetings and they're not interested in going back to in-person meetings and I want IRL spinners. So I've actually been on the hunt for a location to host meetings. And not only have I been on the hunt, I have deputized people to go hunt for me. So I actually have four people hunting for spinning space for a space that could host like a spinning guild meeting, like once, at least if it was just once a month. And I, I mean, I, I use the word guild lightly because it's just going to be a bunch of people hanging out and making yarn. I, I don't know if we, we have like speakers lined up or like an official uh, like setup or whatever, but I, there's just, I know a lot of people in New York city who spin, who are looking for a community. Um, and so mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm going to find it. I'm going to make it and I'm going to find it. So it, I've been working on it for some time. The barrier to everything like in the city is just it, that finding space and then finding space. that's not going to be like super expensive. Um, Cause in the beginning, I don't, like, I would love to do this, but also I don't want to spend an arm and a leg for something that it might just be me and my wheel and maybe mm-hmm. no one will come. Um, So I've been talking mm-hmm. to some of the yarn shops about potentially hosting us where I'm like, cool, if I get a bunch of spinners in the door, they might buy yarn. So maybe you'll like host us for a little bit. Um, I was even looking at like office spaces. I'm going to start a spinning guild in New York City. Uh, the two people, two people have told me that they found things that are promising. One per- one place is already hosting a knitting meetup. So she's like, well, maybe they'll just host a spinning meetup on another day of the week. Um, so I can hopefully get, so I have some IRL spinning friends. I just haven't been able to like, you know, sit down and like meet with them. But once it warms up, I'm just going to take my wheels to the park and hang out in the park and hope other people join me. Um, and if I'm just going to be that girl spinning in Central Park with my wheel, I'm just going to be that girl. Mm-hmm. I was already spinning on my spindles in Grand Central Station last week. So won't be the weirdest thing that I've done. You can always start it like somewhere like Starbucks. If there's a few people that show up and build it from there. I was That's thinking about that. Vancouver group. Yeah. And then eventually or like a cafe. Out. A cafe or like a cafe with like a back a meeting space so that's probably what we're gonna do is find like a restaurant where they have like a meeting space that we could like hang out in the back um my only my only thing is just like wheels are kind of bulky so I was looking for physical space yeah that it's not like it's a knitting meetup where you could just you know put your project bag on the table you kind of do need to have the space for the wheel um but I did I'm super close to finding something and I'm hoping we can get it going in March because it would be really nice to get some get get going with people because people keep asking they're like Tashi has how's it going how's it going which is why I'm like well if you want to help me look for a space because this this is what the limit is and a bunch of people like yeah we'll look so I have a bunch of people looking and I'm hoping to get it going in the next few weeks that's fantastic. Church basements, fantastic. they're an untapped resource and they're usually really cheap. Oh, that's a good, I'm going to write yeah. that down. Yeah. Church basements. That. Oh yeah. That's where our guild met for years and years. We just, we just moved up in the world. We were meeting at an arts council now. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yes. But no, for years, it was just in the hall at, at one of the local heritage churches that had space and it was affordable and they could house our library and yeah. I'm going to look into that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Elementary schools, their gyms, 
There's usually nights that they don't get booked or they're later. Um, like they, uh, don't book them, um, past a certain time for sports. And mm-hmm. again, incredibly affordable. It's like, you know, up here, it'll be like $50 an hour kind of thing. It's really, mm-hmm. really affordable. Get ready to throw in, throw in five bucks when you first start. And then over time, drop it to a toonie or you guys don't have toonies, but drop it to a $2 or a dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of ideas. I'm taking notes because so I, I have a, I have that. a unrelated question. Yeah, um, go for it, Rebecca. That I feel like could be its whole own podcast. And I know we only have 10 more minutes. So, I've so we could always that. just have her back. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll just have you back because it's so big. So I know you're also kind of in some uh, kind of like nerdy circles. Like you've talked about playing D&D and you mentioned video games. Yes. I used to play D&D in seminary and I still love video games. So I'm just really wondering how like the crossover of those, because spinning and knitting is totally a nerd space and mm-hmm. we don't really talk about that, but like how was the crossover of those nerd spaces for you? So I will say every time I mention D&D in a podcast, I get a bunch of comments from knitters who are into D&D. The, the, mm-hmm. the overlap between knitting and, and like any sort of fiber craft in D&D like blew my mind. Like I thought I was going to be talking to like nobody about it. I, I was incorrect. I think the cool thing that happened is, especially with the advent of like actual plays and for people who don't know, an actual play is when a bunch of like people play D&D in D&D stands for Dungeons and Dragons. I should start there. So actual play is when a bunch of people play Dungeons and Dragons and they film it. And so you get to watch them play Dungeons mm. and Dragons. Um, so like one of the really popular ones is like Critical Role, which is a bunch of like voice actors from like anime and video games and they play D&D. There's Dimension 20, which came out of the college humor space and it's a bunch of people playing D&D. So you get the advent of people finally able to watch other people play D&D because so let's 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 rewind like 10 years my husband has been watching Critical Role from the beginning from like campaign one which was like probably 10 years ago not exaggerating and I made fun of him for so long I was like oh why are you watching that stupid nerd show like (laughs) and I used to make so much fun of him because he would get so engrossed in it and I was like oh you're such a nerd and he's like Tasha you're a nerd and I was like but not that kind of nerd um and fast forward to like 2021 when I realized I was indeed that kind of nerd uh, when I finally gave it a go and now I play D&D. But I think the making, like making it cool, I think actual plays made Dungeons and Dragons cool is what it did. Because it was all these people that you like follow, that you like. Like one of the people who play in Dimension 20 uh, announces for Jimmy Kimmel. So like you see Lou Wilson on like TV doing stand up and then also playing Dungeons and Dragons. So it's like, it's a cool thing that people do. Um, so there is that. And so now you have all these people watching other people play Dungeons and Dragons, which makes it way more like achievable. And then you have the the internet communities. There's like Discord and Facebook groups to find your own Dungeons and Dragons group. And then you play D and D. My I'm in two campaigns, and one of my campaigns, two other people knit. We're actually going to Maryland Sheep and Wool together. Um, the three yeah. of us are uh, with That's my husband. So cool. He's our chaperone. Um, so the four of us are going to Maryland Sheep and Wool. And she's going to run a one shot for us um, while we're at Maryland Sheep and Wool. I'm like, do you think you might let me record it? So she's thinking about letting me record it. Because if I can record it, I might include snippets of it in the podcast of us playing D&D at Maryland Sheep and Wool. Um, but there's a huge overlap. I think I think nerds are just nerds are nerds. So people who like nerd out about Viber tend to just nerd out about other things. Um, and so there's just the the community is just like, lay like lay out they lay over and overlap each other and I think it's really cool um to see all the ways those things my my other game that was the game that has the three people that knit in it we're actually working on I call them like temperature blanket shawls but what we did was we've set conditions for our game and every time we've hit a condition in our game we're adding a stripe to our shawl and we're knitting like one of those like advent mini skein shawls so like if you roll a nat 20 it's like this color stripe or if someone goes unconscious in your game it's this color stripe or if someone does this one thing in combat it's this color stripe and so we're making temperature blanket shawls but like D conditions um because again the nerd space is just there's it's, it's all gamification that. Yeah, it's like yeah, a huge Venn diagram. It's a Venn diagram and right mm-hmm. in the middle is where we live in. And I love living in that liminal space of all like my nerdiness. Mm-hmm. I feel sorry for people that don't have hobbies and interests. I'm always like, hmm, your life must be so empty, which is so <laughs> judgmental. And I fully acknowledge that. But <laughs> but the, like you going full circle back to the beginning about the bringing joy stuff, like this stuff just 
it, it makes our lives so rich and it's because of the interpersonal connections that we have with other people. It's not because of D and D itself. It's because yeah. of the connections, you yes. know, it, it's because, and it's funny to me that all three of us play, um, the, cause we've started getting the board game versions for the kids rather than trying to like have the story master and do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And like, they love it. And any of the games based on that type of a game for anybody who has kids out there, stuffed fables is like the best game ever. Cause it's all based around. So they start to learn that type of a game. Um, and there's a spinoff on stuffed fables called Oh brother that comes after you've played stuffed fables. Um, but the, um, I think people who are into all this kind of stuff, like, you know, it, it just fills you up. You just feel so there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of inspiration. There's that interpersonal connection is finding your people, you know, we're not bonding around so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we were in seminary, we were processing all our issues through our D and D characters. Interesting. Like, mm-hmm. They were all like our shadows and we all had our baggage and it was helping us like talk about things we didn't want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah. Well, I That's think kind of a so metaphor much, for a lot of this stuff. I would say so much of like human history is rooted in story and in storytelling. Like we are, we love the story. It's why the great epics have lingered for as long as they have is because we love the story and everyone, whether people want to admit it or not, has main character energy. Everyone wants to be the main character of that arc. And whether you want the dark arc or the traditional hero's journey arc, everybody wants that big story. And so D&D gives you the opportunity to tell a story. And not only do you get to tell a story, you you get to tell a story in community. So like you get the storytelling aspect, you get the community aspect, and you get to hang out in that weird space in between where you the world is what you make it. And so much of our world is not what we make it. We have very, I mean, we have choice, but there's a lot of things that we don't have choice over. And then you get to go to this campaign for four hours every two weeks where you have all the choices. And yes, the dice do betray you. I have definitely had to put a couple dice out under the full moon because I was like, you are cursed and you are not allowed back in my space. Um, yes, the dice do betray you, but we have, we get to make choices and we get to make choices and we get to tell story and we get to build friendships. And it's just, it is such a magical thing that we get to do. It's just like spinning. I, I have decided that I'm only making magical choices in my life these days. And D&D is like, it's a magical choice that I get to make. I think, I think that speaks to spinning and knitting and weaving too, doesn't it? You know, mm-hmm. those choices that we get to make. Yeah. It's very cool. Did you have anything last that you wanted to ask Rebecca? No, I'm good. I think we're going to just have to have you back, Tashi. <laughs> this has been a delight. Um, I'm happy. I'm happy to chat with you guys anytime. I mean, you know, I'm your, I'm your biggest fan. Um, so just being able to like sit out here and talk shop and talk about wool and talk about D and D and tell stories with people that bring me joy. It's just like, it's, 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 it's rad. It's, it's a rad thing that we get to do. It's very cool. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? Okay. So I was very silly when I started my YouTube channel and I didn't make it my Instagram handle, which in hindsight was a choice. Um, I'm on Instagram at Tangles and Starlight and I'm on YouTube at Stitches and Starlight. Um, you can find me there. The I have a, a spinning podcast that is just my adventures in uh, fiber and tomfoolery and nonsense. Uh, it's wool chaos all the time is what I've decided to call it. And then if you want the more curated version of the nonsense, you can follow me on Instagram where it's all pretty pictures. That's fantastic. And on the Slack channel for wool and spinning community members, you're at Tashiana. Yes, it is my name. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Tashi. Thank you so much for having me.